with you. Please open up to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And as you're doing so, um, uh, if you compare what I have prepared here to what you have on your, uh, your uh, sermon notes there, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I only have two points rather than three. Um, but uh, sometimes you have to learn what to cut and what to keep. So there will only be two points there this morning. So uh, we're going to be looking at Luke 2, uh, specifically the birth of Jesus Christ and what that means for us as believers. You know, sometimes the most important things in life happen unintentionally. That is definitely the case with a guy named Percy Spencer. Many of you have never heard of who Percy Spencer is, but no doubt his invention has changed your life. He was an expert in tube design, and he was an engineer for a company called Raytheon back in the 1940s. His research and development ended up uh, producing combat radar equipment for MIT's radiation laboratory, and his his work became so important that uh, it was the highest ranked of most important projects in World War II just underneath the Manhattan Project. Well, one day while Spencer was working on building magnetrons for radar sets, he was standing in front of an active radar, which I don't know how smart that is, but he's standing in front of an active radar, and he noticed that the candy bar that was in his pocket started to melt. Trying to figure out what was going on with this, he tried some other experiments. He took out some popcorn kernels, and he put them in that same radar, and sure enough, he had a success. His next thing he tried is he tried heating up an egg with the same radar thing, and as the egg was heating up, it actually exploded in his co-worker's face, and he knew that he was on to something. So after many attempts and experiments, he developed a device that he called the radar range, and it sits on your kitchen countertop known as the microwave, and it all happened by complete accident. And sometimes in life, some of those best things are are things that happen completely unintentionally. And here in in our text this morning tells us of a time when a governmental leader issued a mandate that no one would think of as odd, no one would think of as rare or overstepping his authority at all, but yet he unintentionally, by doing this, unintentionally fell right into God's plan to bring about the salvation of the world and bringing about Jesus Christ. And so if you're on Luke chapter 2 with me, uh, follow along as I read Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them at the inn. Let's pray together. Father, your word is truth. There is no error in your truth. There is nothing, um, uh, nothing wrong in there. You tell us exactly what we need to know. And so, Father, as we go through this text, would you help your people to be encouraged to live lives that more accurately reflect who you are and they would glorify Christ in what he calls us to do today. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this. 
Amen. Well, in the middle of a typical routine government census, God was doing something extraordinary. And if we look close enough this morning, uh, we can be encouraged that God can do something extraordinary in your life as well. And first, we can see that by firstly trust by trusting God in His ability to work behind the scenes. Trust in God's ability to work behind the scenes. I don't think it's a, any stretch of the imagination to say that our lives are, are completely full, aren't they? They're full of distractions. They're full of interruptions. They're filled with busyness. They're filled with deadlines. They're often filled with disappointments. They're filled with hassles. Sometimes they're filled with annoyances and stresses, and it's easy to get so consumed by those things that we either forget the grace that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ or we don't believe that it exists. And so we get so focused on what we should be doing or what we think should be happening that we see these sorts of things that come into our life as pulling us away from what God wants for us. For Mary and Joseph, an empire-wide census was about the last thing that they could have wanted or needed. Their lives were stressful enough. Mary was pretty far along in her pregnancy already, and uh, they weren't even married yet. And Joseph wasn't even technically this baby's father. They lived in a small town. And if you've lived in a small town long enough, you know what it's like when you have a little bit of a shady background or some shady circumstances. People talk. You can't even go to the grocery store without people knowing your business. And so for Mary and Joseph, here they are. They understand that people are talking behind their backs. They understand that when they go out of their homes, that no doubt there are all kinds of looks that they received, all sorts of comments that came their way. And because Mary was in the latter part of her pregnancy, uh, there was no doubt that she wanted to be close to family for the birth. But though a census might sound pretty good in order to get away from everything that they have in, in town, the ridicule, the, the looks, all those sorts of things, even though traveling for a census might sound good, Joseph recognized the potential danger of taking a seriously pregnant woman from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. And for them, the census is just another hassle that are setting them back from the quiet life that they think they need to live. And I imagine that there might be something in their minds that they think that not only is this taking them from the life that they want, but they also may see this as a way in which God is, God's plan for them is being threatened as well. And I wonder if you ever feel like that. You have this idea of what life should look like for you, but these, these things of life just keep coming in and... They threaten that vision. You get sick. You, you get hurt. You maybe get loaded with extra tasks at work that you didn't ask for that maybe aren't even part of your job description. Maybe you didn't do quite as well on that test that you wanted to. Maybe your friend lays a bombshell on you that you were totally not expecting. What, whatever it is, that, that vision of your life suddenly gets threatened. 
And when that happens, it's easy to get irritated, isn't it? It's easy to get grumpy. It's, 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 and, 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 and though we might not say it consciously, there's a deep down part of us at the very basic level that we question why God would even bring these sorts of circumstances into our lives in the first place. We didn't invite them. We didn't expect them. Nor are they wanted. But look at verse 4 with me. It says, And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because uh, he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, in order to understand what's happening here, uh, we need to take a little bit of a history lesson. Ever since Adam and Eve first fell into sin, God's people have always been looking for this promised deliverance that would come to them. And as Israel's history unfolds, it is clear to them that this promised one is to come in the form of a king. And there was no king that more embodied what God's promise meant than that of David. Every king that would come after David would be compared to him. And when Israel lost their monarchy and were taken over by foreign lands, Israel was always looking forward to that one king who was going to come one day that was going to be just as good as, as David, if not better. And in 2 Samuel 7, about 1,200 years before Jesus was born, God made a promise to David that said, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, we can get into the theological depths of what this passage means, and there are a lot of them, but we need to just zero in on what God is saying here. He is telling us that with every king that was installed, there was going to be one king to rule them all. Now, hold that thought for just a second and look at another promise of God that came from Micah chapter 5. About 400 years or so before Jesus was born, and this is what uh, Micah prophesied. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd the flock of of, in his strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So now fast forward to nine months before our text happens. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel said this to Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And of his kingdom there shall be what? No end. So understand now that when we take these three promises of God, and there are more. These are just a few of them. In the midst of a hassle, 
of an empire-wide census, we can see that God was doing something much bigger. That when Joseph was coming from Nazareth, from the north of Nazareth down into the south of Bethlehem, that he, uh, even though he was bringing this seriously pregnant woman who maybe had health concerns coming down, he was not just going to Bethlehem in order to put his name on a list. Rather, Joseph was bringing the king to his throne. So in other words, when Mary and Joseph had ample reason to complain, God was working behind the scenes. And here now you and I need to take away from this and see that in those seemingly annoying, frustrating, perhaps painful parts of life, God is working on putting the rightful king of your life into your heart. He is enthroning the king on his proper place in your life. He takes those things that we see as as disconnected from what God wants for us and he makes them part of our story so that we can understand that you and I, we don't write our story. It's God that writes our story. God is always working behind the scenes in our lives so that we can put what is the true Christmas spirit into our hearts all year long, namely that Christ Jesus reigns supreme in our hearts. And it might not look like God is there in whatever you're going through right now, but in those moments when he seems most absent, in those times when it seems like God couldn't possibly be at work in what I am going through right now. He is working behind the scenes for your good and for his glory. He is working in unexpected ways so that we can see the Lord Jesus Christ as sufficient in all things and in all ways. If God can fulfill his promises through something as simple as a government census, there is no limit on what God can't do for you. There is nothing, there is no limit to what God can do when the going gets tough. When God is working behind the scenes in your life, there are no limits for what he can do. So if this passage tells us that we should trust God in his work behind the scenes, it also tells us that we should trust his ability to work in the mundane. Trust in his ability to work in the mundane. You know, at Christmas time, we, we often sing these, these songs of Jesus' birth with much gusto and and energy and and thankfulness and we might see a christmas pageant or two uh, and in those stories we can easily sensationalize the birth of the lord jesus christ but in all honesty there was nothing special about the actual birth of jesus i remember a few years back when prince george was was born y'all remember when he was born in england Y'all would have thought that the world stopped spinning for a week. Media outlets, all they covered was, here is the, the, the uh, future king of England. He is born. And 
Uh, but when we look at the truth of the matter is that King George was not born in any different way than you and I were. And the same is with Jesus here. Granted, the magi and the shepherds and the dreams and the visions and the stars and all that kind of stuff, yes, that was extraordinary, but the actual birth of Jesus was fairly routine. Uh, when we look at verses 6 and 7, we can see that there is really nothing more routine in Scripture. In fact, the birth of Jesus was such a mundane thing in, in the Scriptures, it's only mentioned twice in the Gospels. There's only two accounts of it. But there are details here that if we pay close attention to it, unless we pay close attention, we can miss some very important details on what that means for you and for me. Look at verse 7. Luke tells us that after Jesus was born, Mary wraps him in swaddling cloths. Now, these cloths were probably garments that were given uh, to Mary from the, the midwives that would have been around in Bethlehem at, at that time. Uh, but in all honesty, when we look at this writing of Mary wrapping him in swaddling cloths, part of me thinks, why in the world would Luke put such an unnecessary detail into Scripture? Because when anybody is born at any hospital right now, what do they do? They put a blanket on the baby and they wrap him up. So it'd be like just saying, well, uh, when Jimmy was born, they wrapped him up in one of those hospital blankets. When you have a baby, that's just what you do. But yet, Luke adds it for a purpose, which is shaped in greater detail when we look at the later part of this verse. Notice what it says. It says that she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, in our modern understanding of Christmas, we totally miss what's going on here. When it's talking about the inn, it's not like the Holiday Inn or the Days Inn of uh, Bethlehem at the time had every single room uh, packed to the max and they couldn't possibly have any more people. That's probably not what, what was going on. More than likely, uh, the word inn referred to a guest room. And Joseph, being of the house and lineage of David, more than likely had relatives that lived in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph probably went to these relatives, and these relatives probably had a whole host of other family that were staying with them in that house. They weren't kicked out. They weren't rejected. They probably were allowed to stay there, but I don't know about you. Guys, you can attest to this. If my wife is in labor, the last thing that I want is a bunch of family members in the delivery room. Mary goes into labor. There's all sorts of family around, and I've been in a delivery room four times. There's a lot of room that needs to be in order. Nurses are running around. Things are happening. So you could see that there was no room for them in the inn to make this happen. But more than likely, these relatives of Joseph, the only other property that they would have had would have been a stable. And the stable that happened here with Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem was more than likely a cave. So you think about the fact that Jesus here more than likely was born in a dank, cold cave that animals ate and slept in. Now let's put these two minute details together for just a moment. 
where else in Scripture do we see Jesus being wrapped up in cloths and put in a cave? We're right now at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, but if we were to turn a few chapters over to Luke chapter 23, in verses 50 through 53, this is what it says. Now, there was a man named Joseph, sort of ironic there, isn't it? From the Jewish town of Arimathea, he was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. So, in other words, the mundane actions of a mother wrapping her baby up in swaddling cloths, God was busy foreshadowing what would happen to Jesus for you and for me. He was preparing us readers for the greatest thing that he would do, substitute our punishment for sin in the death of his son. But just as we often overlook these mundane uh, details of Jesus' birth, so often do you and I overlook our sin. We overlook the fact that we've said things that we shouldn't have said. We often overlook the things that we do that we feel guilty about. We often uh, overlook the shame that we feel for sometimes even the things that we, we think and we try to pacify it with uh, either keeping busy or putting it in the back of, of our minds so we don't need to think about it anymore and we want to convince ourselves that it's not a big deal. But our sin, your sin, my sin is a very big deal. And if you don't do something about it, it has the potential for ruining your life now and giving you an eternity that you certainly don't want. You see, Christmas is not a children's holiday. It's not about singing songs. It's not about Christmas movies. It's not about parties. It's not about cookies, which, praise the Lord for those. Those are all good things. And I'm so thankful for the traditions that my family has and that Christianity has when it comes to the Christmas season. But the Christmas season, in its essence, is not about those things. It is not for those things. Christmas is for messed up people like you and like me. Christmas is for those who make shipwreck of their lives. Christmas is for people who may be living in perpetual guilt and shame. People who are anxious and depressed. People who are hopeless. Christmas points us to the one who knows every single thing about us, but yet loves us anyway. What a great truth that is. 
And by the virtue of his life and death, he takes away our sin. And he removes it as far from us as the east is from the west. See, friends, Christmas, at Christmas, God was using a completely mundane, normal circumstance that we would often overlook and using it for our redemption, for our forgiveness, for our being able to truly live how we were created to live. Now, I realize that for some of you here this morning, this might be fresh, this might be hot off the press for you. Maybe you've never heard it that way. Maybe it's new to you. And you're thinking, if I keep going down the road that I'm going, I don't know what's going to happen to me. If I continue down this path, or, or uh, if I keep going about my life the way it is, I'm not sure how I'm going to end up. Or perhaps you might be thinking this, this morning that I can't even live with this guilt and this shame anymore and I don't even know what to do about it. And you might even wonder how in the world can God forgive you for what you've done? Christmas tells us, friends, that he can forgive you and he will forgive you. He sent his son Jesus who was wrapped in swaddling cloths so that one day he could be wrapped in burial cloths for you and for your redemption. If, you that, if that's you this morning, I'm going to pray here in just a minute. And I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to pray as well and I encourage you to express your sorrow to God for your sins and your desire for him to take them away from you because of what Christ has done for you in his finished work to give you a new heart with new desires. And if you do, you can experience Christmas and life like you've never experienced it before. And if that's you, I would love to talk to you after the service. The people that are up here that are praying after the service would love to talk to you as well. The microwave oven may have been a completely accidental inter. Uh, accidental invention but get this straight there's no accident there's no accident in God's desire to save you there is no accident in him loving you so much that he would send his son to die for you in the midst of an accidental not an accidental census but Accidental results. God was working for you. And wherever you've been, whatever you've done, Christmas is about God loving you and doing whatever it takes to save you. Trust in him and he will do just that. Let's pray together. Father, you came to this earth to save us. And you did it in a complete, normal way. Through the birth of a baby. Father, help us to have a fresh vision of what this season is about. Help us to renew our sense of our need and desire for Jesus. Father, I pray for those that might be here this morning 
that maybe have never heard this before, or maybe it sounds new for the first time. Father, I pray that they would express their sorrow for sin to you, and that they would have a desire to have Christ be the ruling authority in their heart. Would you seal them with the Holy Spirit through that decision, God? And would they experience life as they were created to be by the power of your Spirit, in the power of your gospel? And may we all look to Christmas all year knowing that Jesus is Lord and that you deeply love us in spite of who we are. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing a, a song of response.